Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. The world today continues to search for wisdom and self-discovery. We've been looking for wisdom ever since the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve decided that whatever God gave to them and told them was not enough, and they were deceived by the serpent to want to know more. And while many pursue wisdom apart from God, the believers find their power in the cross of Christ. Worldly wisdom is valuable in this life, but does it really have the power to carry you into heaven? The answer is no. The power is only found in the cross of Jesus. By trusting in the message of the cross, God will build you into something you never dreamed of that only he can do. You know, wisdom is, is a funny thing. And for those of you that have been here a while, you've probably heard this story. You can probably tell it better than I can. But there is a few people in here that had heard this story before. i never forget, I was a, a youth in a youth camp. Uh, we were going to Destin, Florida. And uh, it was one of those great, great times as a senior in high school. I thought that I could just own the world, right? And so there was this one little section of the beach that had these jet skis. You know where this is going, right? Back then, they said that if you had a driver's license, you could rent it. Well, like any kid at camp, I had money burning a hole in my pocket. And so I thought, man, I'm not like all these other guys at youth camp. I've got my driver's license. I could go get on the thing. So me and a couple other guys, we go and we rent a jet ski. And it's not like you're at the Lake Hartwell and they put you on the pier and you take off. You are on the shore and the waves are coming in. And they put you out in the shallow end of the ocean. You have to jump and get over these waves. And then it's just smooth sailing. Now, again, wisdom tells me I can drive a motorcycle. I can drive a jet ski. Right? That's wisdom. Some of you are like, I know where you're going, James. Well, I got news for you. I found out at a very young age that driving a jet ski is not like driving a motorcycle. It's like driving a boat. A really small boat. And so when you are portionally challenged compared to the size of the jet ski, and here I am, pudgy little senior, I wasn't little, but here I am, the pudgy senior, hey, look at the fat boy on the jet ski. Yeah, that was funny. So I get out there, and instead of being able to hit those waves straight, I did not understand that the worst thing you can do on a jet ski is not give it gas. Because if you're not giving it gas... You're not be, you're not going forward. You're not able to turn. I, and look, th- there's a, a master class on that, I'm sure. Uh, but but for the purpose today, let me just tell you, the fat kid fell off before he even got to the ocean. So and so the waves, instead of me going over them, every time I would try to get up on that thing, it would roll me over. So I rented a jet ski for 30 minutes. And for 30 minutes, it was me trying to mount and get back on that jet ski in the shallow end. Nobody helped. Nobody gave me in. They just sat back and thank God YouTube and Facebook wasn't out during those days. Because I would be viral, my friends. So anyway, at the end of the 30 minutes, I, it was, I take that back. It was probably into the 15 of the 30 minutes. I just gave up. And the, and the waves, they pushed the jet ski back to the shore. I floated in back to the shore thinking I had been whipped and thinking I could have had a better time just taking that $20 and burning it right in front of me. But anyway, 
I have a story now to share with you. And the story is this. My wisdom told me that because of everything that I had experienced in my previous times as a, as a kid, growing up, riding motorcycles, being in boats, everything made sense, right? So all of that wisdom I had should have translated into that experience. But the truth of the matter is, it didn't translate into that. What, we, what I learned from that is that previous experience doesn't necessarily bring wisdom in different contexts. You see what I'm saying here? Just because I've been through stuff and had wisdom in some areas doesn't mean that that wisdom always transfers over in other areas. Just because you've learned things in life, it doesn't mean that they are the right things. It doesn't mean that the things you've learned to adapt with and and to cope with in the worldly sense does not necessarily translate into spiritual truth. Well, wisdom in your own eyes does not always mean actual wisdom in the moment. That type of wisdom only comes from God. What seemed wise at the moment for me proved to be foolish. And even everyone probably got a good laugh. Except me. I still don't laugh about it. Well, yeah, it's funny now. But last week, Paul commended the church at Corinth for they had accomplished many things. At the same time, they were challenged because if you remember last week, at the first part of this chapter, they were divided. Some said, oh, we, are, we follow the teachings of Paul. We follow the teachings of Apollos. We follow the teachings of Peter. Oh, we follow the teachings of Jesus himself. And so within the Corinthian church, there were divisions. We are better than you because we follow Somebody else. And Paul kind of laid it on the line. He says there must be one unifying theme that brings every church together. There must be one unifying theme that brings Baptist and other gospel-believing denominations together. We can differ on a lot of things. And some people make their living talking about those differences. But Paul is telling us here, he's telling me as a pastor and you as a church, that there is one unifying theme, whether they are non-denominational, denominational, interdenominational, no denominational, you, you just, whatever you want to put there, it doesn't matter. If we believe in Jesus Christ, he, he really boils it down here, regardless of the traditions or doctrinal differences, there must be one thing that is the main thing. And Paul nails it down here to the church of Corinth today in this passage. And we would be wise today to do the same. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you've already turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And the first point is this. The message of the cross is foolishness and nonsense to many. Even today, when you talk about the cross, people look at that as something, oh, I learned about that when I was in vacation Bible school. Oh, my mom and dad used to put that down my throat. Oh, I remember I went to youth camp once and got saved three times. Yeah, I remember all those things. But what does it mean to you today? Well, let's look at verses 18 through 21. He says here, The message of the cross is foolish, To those who are headed for destruction. But we who are saved know that it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this 
Ultimately, the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God, in his wisdom, saw it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save some of those who believe. What is Paul trying to say here? The first thing, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. The idea of being saved by a man who was publicly executed, who many thought was delusional, seemed very foolish to the people of those days. Now, today we think about Jesus being crucified. There's, there's a lot of weight to that. We think a lot of that. But back in that day, and even to some people today, that, does, that seems like, really, of all the people you're going to follow, you're going to follow a man who was thought to be crazy and the son of a carpenter who claimed he was God and he was killed and crucified. Would I mean, think about it. Would, would you really, today, would you worship somebody that claimed to be Jesus and was executed in the electric chair or by lethal injection? Doesn't make sense. Didn't make sense back then. And to some, it doesn't make sense now. This is especially true for the well-educated Jews and the Greek thinkers of that day. Now the, now, the Greek thinkers of that day, they would sit in lecture halls. They would sit in rooms. It's kind of like you go to a modern-day coffee house today, and there's people talking about, you know, they got their laptops out, and they're talking to friends, and they're saying stuff that is way over your head. People enjoy that kind of talking. But can you imagine what they thought about depending on a man that was executed by the electric chair or lethal injection being your savior? For those who are hurting and perishing, it seems inconceivable that they need to believe in the man that was publicly executed and ridiculed. And it says in here, those who are headed for destruction. Some translations say those who are perishing. This is not just a phrase that describes a one-dimensional picture of those who are going to be judged and going to hell. Yeah, we as great Christians, we can read that and say, oh yes, I am not one of those. Thankfully, I'm not one of the lost. I'm not perishing. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Look, that is a great benefit. But the truth of the matter is, is when it says perishing, it doesn't mean eventually perishing. It means there are people that are perishing and suffering and hurting right now. Some of you in here this morning are suffering and perishing over sins, over habits, over thoughts, over things that are just, even as I mentioned it, the hair on your back is standing, uh, on the back of your neck is standing up. Because you're like, I don't want to deal with that right now, preacher. But we all deal with those things. Perishing is an active word. Perishing is for those who are struggling now. Perishing is for those who are searching. And perishing is for those who will be judged. So let me ask you this. Which is worse? Being the one who is lost and perishing without even knowing it? Or being the one who is a believer that actively watches people perish and does Nothing about it. The message of the cross is the very power for those who are being saved. Our faith in Jesus intersects at the cross where the sum of all of our sins come together. And the payment is made because we are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot pay our sin debt. But that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is our sin. It is your sin that put Jesus on the cross. And you have no way to get out of it on your own. You find yourself falling and missing the mark every single time when you try to please God. That's the one thing I, I don't think people understand about the cross. Is that if I, if I preach long enough, you're going to think, I hope not, 
But I hope you don't think a preacher will say, if you get to be good enough up to here, then Jesus will love you. That is not the gospel. What the cross says is the bar is lowered to the lowest common denominator. And we'll show, we'll see that in the scripture in just one minute. So what we see here is that only God has the power to save you from your sin. And he accomplished this through the cross. Now we look at human wisdom versus godly wisdom. We saw that in verses 19 through 21. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. God, since in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Now, now look, I know that I have men and women of science in here today. I know that there are people that believe that technology is going to be the one. There are people that are banking on the fact that we are going to be smart enough to send people to Mars one day. And we may. We may, through research, we may be able to find the cure to cancer. We may be able to find uh, the way to de-age people. I, I don't know. Maybe. But it hasn't happened yet. And people are, are putting their faith in these things. And look, I have nothing against people like Stephen Hawking and, and, um, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Those are brilliant men. And our world is filled with br- brilliant scientists. And there are some great things that have been happening in the world of science today. But when you hear someone that is so educated to, to say there is no God, when you hear someone to say that is so educated that your faith is a make-believe structure, You've got to understand, folks, for you to say that there is no God would mean that you have to be a God yourself to have a right to say that. Do you understand what I'm saying there? If, so, if you're talking with somebody, somebody and they say, oh, I don't believe in God, automatically you go on the defensive and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? When really all you have to do is say, really? You don't believe there is a God? Where do you come up with that? And they'll have no answer, or they'll say what 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 the world says, what the news says. But what what is your what is your take on that? Because I know at the end of the day, you can tell me all day long that God is not real, until you are blue in the face. But I know in my life the way my life was when I tried to run it without God, I ran it into a ditch. I was like a fat kid trying to get on a jet ski. But when God came into my life. It was a power that I'd never experienced before. And I don't care how many degrees you have behind your name. I know what happened in my life. And you know what's happening or not happening in your life. And so, basically, Paul is not being anti-education here. Paul was very educated. He used to be the head of the Sanhedrin, which was a a Jewish um, religious uh, sect that that would basically rule the Jews. When it came to worship, when it came to the temple. So he has the education. He has the experience. What he is saying is that no matter how much worldly wisdom you can attain, it will never enable you to have a personal relationship with the Lord. There have been days where you've been on your computer or you've been on your phone and you feel like you you found the end of the Internet because you have seen everything. And when you get to the end of that and you have seen everything that is out there, you will still not be one closer, one step closer to God, because that is only done through the cross. We must meet God at the cross. 
where Jesus paid the debt for our sin, accept his forgiveness, repent from our sins, and walk forever with him. You see, what we see here is that human wisdom lacks God's divine power. Why did God do that? God did that for one simple reason. God made it to where you need him. Whether you know it or not, if you are banging your head against the wall, or if you keep trying in your own strength to do stuff, I want you to understand what Paul is telling us here is that if you try to get through this world with just your own wisdom, your self-reliance, and what your friends tell you, you're going to need more. God has made it to where we need him. Human wisdom considers the cross to be foolish, but to God it is a power to save people. Look, just because I may be able to fly a plane in a video game, that does not mean that I could stand in for a pilot that falls ill on a flight. I would need someone feeding me the information I don't know. Even pilots with the most experience encounter things that they do not understand and are beyond their control. Folks, that is called life. I was talking with a friend the other day. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God won't put more on you than you can handle. Show it to me in the Bible. Show me where it says that God won't put more on you than you can handle. It does say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that when you are tempted, He will bring a way for you to either stand up under it or to get out of it. But when it comes to piling on your life and life piling on you and things, Jesus says this, Your burden is heavy. Give me your burden and take my burden because my burden is light. What is the difference? When you're carrying your burden on your own, you're under your own power. But when you're carrying the burden of Christ, you're under His power. And that comes with wisdom. The power of the cross. And then we see the power of the cross is found in Christ, not our opinion of Him. Look at verses 22 through 25. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for sins or signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews were offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. So Paul nailed them to the wall. Paul said, look, the Jews don't understand it. The Greeks don't understand it. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is everybody else, by the way. But those... Who, but those, but to those called, or another word for that would be invited, for those called to God by salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. To the Jews, Jesus was not the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for and are still looking for their Messiah to be a political savior. Someone to move within the ranks of politics and to be a world leader that everybody loves and they can claim. My friends, once the Jews of today that reject Jesus claim whoever it is to be the Messiah, that is going to be the Antichrist. So if you're still alive, kids, understand that. The Jews had rejected Jesus in these days. To the Gentiles or the Greeks, the Greeks thought a message of salvation through the cross was humiliating and demeaning. 
The mechanism of death with the cross was excruciating pain, blunt force trauma, and suffocation. They wouldn't want to talk about that. I don't know about y'all, but if you're sitting around the dinner table with your family, you're not going to talk about the grossest things you've ever seen. That's, that's what the cross is. And in a world of science and knowledge and power, how could something so violent and unpleasant be a valid form of salvation? Now, I'm going to go into professor mode for a minute. I, I am not smart, but I did want to show you this because I ran across this and I thought it was pretty good. It's a picture called Alexamenos Graffitio. Now, it, it's kind of hard for you to see, but on the left here is an actual old-time Graffiti, kind of like when you see uh, train cars going down the, the train track and they got graffiti all over them, where you go in town and they got people that are writing stuff all over it. This is what that was for that day. And so on the left is the actual carving in stone. On the right-hand side is somebody took paper and kind of retraced it so you can actually see what it is. And so I don't know if you can make it out, but there is a man with it looks like a tie or something on the left, and then there is what looks to be a man's legs, a man's hands, and a donkey on the cross. This was a graffiti that was found, written way back then, where people were making fun of Jesus. So I want you to understand, people that are, are making fun of Jesus and Christians and, and acting all high and mighty today, that's not a new thing. This is an actual piece that uh, some believe was created 200 years after Christ's death. And the inscription reads, the, the gentleman on the left, Alex, Alex Menos, worships God. This is how foolish Greeks thought Jesus was. So how do you approach the message of the cross? Is Jesus and the message of the cross not something you expected? Or does Jesus and the message of the cross seem foolish to you? Will you look past your doubts and limited understanding to see the cross as an invitation to receive the very power of God in your life? If you do not have the power of God in your life, we call that the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy, the Holy Spirit power in your life, my question is to you, my friend, did you make a decision long ago or did you get saved long ago? Or, if you used to feel that power and you don't feel it now, my question is, what sin has come in and thrown water on that fire that you used to have? The third thing that we see is that God calls out to the overlooked. I love this passage. love this passage. Verses 26 through 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, the few of you that were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the world, or excuse me, God, instead God choose, or chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. 
I remember years ago, I used to think, what if this athlete would get saved? What if this celebrity would get saved? What if this world leader would get saved? Imagine what he would do. But you know what? That rarely is going to happen because who gets the glory when a celebrity or somebody who already has power does something? Who gets the glory? They do. But if God can use men and women like you and I straight out of Homeland Park in Anderson, South Carolina, who's going to get the glory for that? God is. The message of the cross was a grassroots movement that began with common and lowly people. Most of the people that came to know Christ during these days were slaves and common people. Paul is reminding the church of Corinth that very few of them were wise, powerful, and wealthy. Yet God called them because what was happening is some of the church were starting to believe their own hype. They felt like if they had a leadership position in the church or if they were doing things or they had people following them, that they were better than somebody else. And Paul is saying, look, no, it's not your power that's doing this. It is the power of the cross. Folks, if you are a believer today, it is not by your wisdom or social status, but by the very grace of God. The very Grace of God. This passage overflows. It oozes with the grace of God. God selects those in the world who would usually be the last pick. Look, I remember being the fat kid growing up. I was always the last pick when we played kickball. You know, nobody likes to be the last kid picked up. But you know what? If God picked me last, that means He's going to make me first. If you are a believer in Christ, don't take it for granted and just think it's something you did long ago or something you're thinking about doing. If you are a Christian, it's because by God's grace, He called you before you even knew it. God is delighted to use common people. He even chooses things in the world that would consider foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise and strong. Do I need to say anything else other than COVID? In all of our strength, in all of our might, in all of our wisdom, in all of our military strength, in all of our, where we are in the world, a little minuscule virus took down an entire world. Tell me that's not humbling. Well, God is delighted to use common people, and I'm glad because I'm one of them. He's even chosen things in the world to consider foolish. To use them time and again, he picks up a broken life, he restores it, and he uses it. Fourth and final point, Christ makes us right with God. Christ makes us right with God. Look at verses 30 and 31 here. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God has made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Folks, we see here, Christ becomes our wisdom. Christ becomes our purifier. It's a a biblical word called sanctification, which just basically means making us holy. He becomes our rescuer. We obtain salvation and he becomes our unifier because he has redeemed us all together. 
And so I got uh, one verse I wanted to share with you. It's in Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, and it's a, a, a term that, that we use in the Christian world. It's called substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. You can go tell your friends after church today you learned a phrase, substitutionary atonement, and they will be impressed for like one second, maybe. But I want you to understand what substitutionary atonement is. The word atonement is a, a great way to break that down. I heard someone say a long time ago, uh, to atone means to be made at one with. You break the word up. At one. Substitutionary atonement means that Jesus became for you and I what was impossible for us to do on our own. He atoned. He made us one with God. So that when people try to accuse us of what we've done, and when people try to judge us, they say, no, we're not looking at what James used to do. We're looking at Christ because he's one with Christ. And Christ made him one with God. That substitutionary atonement. He did for me what I could not do for myself. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus became for us what was impossible for us to do on our own. Christ has become our righteousness, having our sin placed in himself. It is, all, it is just like the fact that all of the sins that we have committed and never will commit were placed, taken off of us and placed on Jesus, and he bore them on the cross so that we could be free, so that we could be saved, so that we could be cleaned. That, my friends, is the message of the cross. That, my friends, is the power of the cross. That ain't a Baptist thing, and I know ain't's not a word I should use. Sorry, Donna. It ain't a Baptist thing. It ain't a non-denominational thing. It ain't a white thing. It ain't a black thing. It ain't a red thing. It is Jesus Christ being the unifier of everybody. That if we believe in Christ, And we believe that we have to repent of our sins. And that we walk away with a changed life and continue to follow him. The rest of this stuff, we can differ on. But Jesus Christ is the unifier. God did for you what you could not do for yourself. The world looks at you and says you are finished. But God, through the message of the cross, says I'm just getting started. If you are a child of God through Jesus Christ, it's not because of who you are, but in spite of it. So, by trusting in the message of the cross, God will build you into something you never dreamed of. And only He can do. I'm just going to leave that up there and let you think about it. By trusting in the message of the cross, God will build you into something you never dreamed of. And only He can do. Are you happy where you are right now? If you are, then God bless you. But if you know that God has something else for you, you know that God's working on you, that's a great place to be. Because my friends, if God is working on you, that means his hands are on you. Right? And that's nowhere else I'd rather be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the message today. And Lord, as we have our time of invitation, there may be one person here today that says, you know what, I am not sure of my salvation. I am not sure that if I have the power that is found in the message of the cross. I know that I've tried, I know that I've I've fallen short, but today I want to make sure that my sins are forgiven and I am at one with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. If there's one person here today, I know that everybody would rejoice if they would just come forward during this invitation. 
I'll pray with them. We will make sure that they know before they walk out of here that they are at one with you. Maybe there's somebody who wants to get baptized. Join this church or just come to the altar and pray. Whatever their decision may be, Lord, it's time for you to be glorified. And you'll get the honor, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?